we, we said we're going to finish at 11.30, so I really want to honor that. And I just thought uh, we would spend a few moments on uh, something which is very significant in the book of Kings. For those of you who are visiting as a church, we've been reading together through the scriptures, and um, it's a two-year plan, it's a two-year project, and we uh, are reading a chapter or two chapters of scripture a day, and um, we're providing videos as well as uh, there is podcasts, as well as there is uh, some home groups are following uh, the books that we're reading through. So this week we finished with Ephesians, and we started with the book of First Kings, and it's it's the the, the book where actually the um, role of David as a king, um, the, the, the history of this Davidic dynasty has come to an end. The book of First Kings starts with actually David charging um, his son Solomon uh, to be the next king. And uh, then uh, it was also in the back of what David really wanted to do. He wanted to build a house for God. And um, God said to David very clearly that you're not going to build a house, but your son Solomon is going to build a house. So in one sense, what we've got in the beginning of, of the book um, of First Kings is how Solomon is kind of gradually being established in his uh, role as a king, but also what he accomplishes. Now, if I was to ask you the question, um, if I mention the name Solomon, what is one or two words that comes to mind if I say Solomon? Wisdom, great. Proverbs, yes. What else? Rich, yeah. Anybody else? Contradictions, yeah. Yes, so he was a, a finisher, the, the executor of the plan. Yeah. Polygamy, yeah. Yeah. Temple, temple. Son of David, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting how, how we can come and, and summarize uh, Solomon with a, a few words. And I think as we're saying this one-off words, everybody's nodding and agreeing with that. Uh, because actually, Solomon is, is, I think the scripture says that there's no other wiser than, than Solomon. He was, he was so wise. And also, there is an element here that Solomon manages to build the temple, which is really grandiose. And I don't know what your experience of going to this big church or abbeys or cathedrals and you, you get lost into the, the grandeur of the place. I, I always, whenever I, I go to um, these cathedrals, my question is how long did it take to build? 
And it's usually hundreds of years. Whereas what we see here in the scriptures is that Solomon built this grandeur temple in seven years. He waited 11 months for it to be starting because he really wanted to do it in the uh, particular feast, Sukkot. And he, he just wanted it to be really um, a way that it conveyed a message to everybody about who God was. We're going to stop at the particular part of the book of Kings, chapter 8, verses 22 to 30, and it's Solomon's prayer. I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to share a few thoughts, and then we'll bring it to a close. So it's the moment that the temple has finished. It's the moment that everything that was supposed to be happening has happened, and it's the moment where Solomon finds that actually he, he needs to commit this thing, all his action, everything to God. So, um, verse 20 says, And now the Lord had fulfilled the promise he made, for I became a king in my father's place. And now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord has promised. I've built this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And I've prepared there a place for the ark, which contains the covenant that the Lord has made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord, in front of the entire community of Israel. He lifted his hands towards heaven, and prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in all of heaven above, in all the heaven above or on the earth below. You keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. You have kept your promise to your servant David. My father, you've made that promise with your own mouth and with your own hands, and you have fulfilled it today. And now, O Lord, God of Israel, carry out the additional promise you made to your servant David, my father. For you said to him, if your descendants guard their behavior and faithfully follow me as you have done, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Now, O God of Israel, fulfill this promise to your servant David, my father. But will God really live on earth? Why even the highest heavens cannot contain you? How much less this temple I have built? Nevertheless, listen to my prayer and my plea, O Lord my God, Hear the, heart, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you today. May you watch over this temple night and day, this place where you have said, My name will be there. And may you always hear the prayers I make towards this place. 
May you hear the humble and the earnest request from me and your people Israel when we pray towards this place. Yes, hear us from heaven where you live, and when you hear, forgive. Chapter 8 of the book of, well, of First Kings is divided, it's a long chapter, and it's got three distinct sections. The first part is the bringing of the ark and the tabernacle. The second is the prayer of Solomon. And then the third part is the blessing, followed by the sacrifices. And I wanted to stop a little bit here, the prayer of Solomon, especially um, thinking a little bit about the temple. Well, the temple is just another building until God moves in and consecrates it. Yes, there is details. Yes, there is the grandeur. That there is the riches of the temple. But throughout the whole time, God has asked for the dedication of people's hearts. This is far more important than the grandeur of the building. But in and in itself, it was a very powerful powerful, um, obvious thing that people could learn from. Well, first and foremost was the symbol, the symbolic of God's presence. What was there? It was the Ark of the Covenant, which actually was an expression of God's presence. Um, Also the Ark manifested God's throne, so it was that kind of idea of uh, reverence and respect, but also what was there was the company of God's word. So you've got these three things, the presence, the throne, and the words, and they were just part of the temple. But the scary truth of the matter is it is possible to have the presence of God, to have the throne of God, and the word of God, and yet deny him in the center of your being. Yes, the writer, the author of First Kings, wants to pick on the historical element of Israel, but it's much more than that. He wants us to know the lessons that we can learn from What does devotion, what does commitment to God looks like? Because actually the temple was not only the symbol of God's presence, it was also the tool that brought God's people together. It was unifying all the tribes. Also was validating Solomon's kingship. But on the other hand, it was also the place of testimony. David wanted something to build for God because God's name needed to be stated and declared. Solomon wants to do the same thing. It's that place of, twe- of testimony, the dwelling place to bring God's glory to his name. 
It's a place where God's people meet and worship together. But it's not only that. The temple also, it's a place when you receive God's blessing. People come together, they have encountered who God is, they have asked for forgiveness, and they've left with that blessing that God has been there and he's forgiven and he has continued to bless them. I want to stop at one moment in Solomon's prayer that is quite Christmassy. Because Solomon realizes that although the temple is quite spectacular, magnificent, God Almighty, the Creator, Yahweh, cannot be contained into a building. He is uncontainable. Yes, he is the creator. Yes, he is the, the sustainer of life. That's why in verse 27, he asks, but will God really live on earth? Why even the highest heavens cannot contain you? How much less this temple that I have built? So what is Christmassy? about this message. Well, it's that moment of awe and shock that comes with a Christmas message. God, the creator of the universe, uncontainable, big, vast, powerful chooses to tabernacle to pitch his tent and to become one of us. So this God who is uncontainable and yet Mary carries him in her womb. This God who is uncontainable and yet is being carried by two parents who feel so helpless they don't know what to do with a baby. The God of the universe, creator, uncontainable, wild, untamable, is baptized by John the Baptist. This God who is great, uncontainable, untamable, is thought to have been contained by the nails on the cross. Philippians 2 reminds us that although he was equal to God, he did not use that as a label so he could fight for his rights. But he became obedient to the death, even to the death of 
the cross. This is God Almighty, creator of the universe, who spoke and it was made. Who spoke and it was made. Tempted in every way when he came here on earth. Lived an ordinary life. Ended up on the cross. And then people thought that death contained him. Ha, ha, ha. He is uncontainable. He is all-powerful, untamable. The only thing that on the face of this earth, what humans experienced that could not contain him, was the resurrection. The death could not hold him. That's why he was resurrected on the third day. This is amazing. So we can sympathize with Solomon today. Saying, will God really live on earth? Well, the answer is yes. Because he's lived with us. Is he containable? No. He's uncontainable. And yet, he has decided to live as one of us, because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he values his creation so much. And if Solomon's idea was that God could not be containable in a temple, and we've seen that actually Jesus has come, then this really signifies and enforces the purpose of incarnation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So today, church, today, brothers and sisters in Christ, today, people of God, we've got an opportunity to meet with this amazing, awesome, uncontainable God through Jesus Christ. And we are also in a position to share about this awesome, uncontainable, untamable God with others. Do you want to meet with him today? What's your response as you meet with him? Amazement, worship, obedience. He is your creator who loves and cares for you. He's the creator and sustainer of your life who is reaching out your hand, his hand to you and wants to bless you. Do you want to meet with him today? Let's pray. So, Father God, thank you that we can love you and can say that we love you only through what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we're so grateful for his life here on earth, for his death and resurrection. We're also grateful for his mandate for us to go and share with others. Help us to meet you afresh today 
and help others, Lord. You're coming through at the doors of this church to meet you afresh today. In Jesus' name.